0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the upcoming. Doctors, lawyers, entrepreneurs, it doesn't matter. We're here to talk about all the best and the brightest as they make their way to their dream careers. I'm your host, Jonathan Carr. Join me as we have a spectacular conversation with an equally spectacular person. You ready? Let's go. Hello, world, and welcome to The Upcoming, the perfect place to catch the best and brightest on their way to the top. Joining me now for The Upcoming's 45th episode, it's been a long time coming, I am so excited. He's here today, folks, straight out of California, he's not only got his bachelor's at UCLA, freaking UCLA, folks, it's just that cool, but he's also got his master's at Berkeley. So, he's been going down the road of public health and social work, he was a financial services intern with the Economic and Workforce Development Center at Downtown Atlanta. Say, Los Angeles, he's also been a COVID 19 ambassador trying to help build people up who are having hard times during COVID. He's done all sorts of amazing work just looking out for people in underserved communities, trying to just push people forward, just help them be the best they can be as he continues to be the best he can be. So now he's here telling me about his life, his work, and what's been going on in the future and what he's things are looking for him now. So, ladies and gentlemen, the great Roger Bazan Flores, how's it going, Roger?
1: Hey, it's going great. Uh, it's been a while since we last talked, so I'm really happy to reconnect. Touch base a bit, you know, and uh, yeah, you know, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate
0: it. All right. All right, man. I appreciate you coming on. So, Roger, on the upcoming, I always allow my guests to introduce themselves. So please tell us in your own words, who and what exactly are you?
1: Yeah, um, I like to start off with like anyone I meet. Uh, I let them know I'm a first generation American i um, a first-generation student as well. Um, grew up in a single-parent household, raised by my mother. Uh, my dad wasn't really around in my upbringing. Um, and because of that, I was mainly raised by my maternal grandparents. Um, they instilled a lot of their values um, in me and, uh, you know, pushing hard and, and trying to make the American dream uh, a reality, despite the economy being very rough right now. Um, but um, I, I, I can say with, uh, with pride, with my head held high, that I'm very proud of everything that I've been able to achieve thus far, um, and still pushing to see to see where where I go next. Right, um, you know, as you mentioned, uh, did undergrad at, at UCLA, which was a great experience. Uh, go Bruins! <laughs> and um, most recently, um, just a couple months out, I just finished my master's of public health at uh, UC Berkeley, um, out in the Bay Area, um, and you know that was a that was a really cool experience. Um, and yeah, you know, I'm just kind of uh, in the works of getting back into the workforce after being an academic for several years. And, uh, yeah, just really excited, um, to see what's next.
0: Yeah. I'm excited too for you, Roger. So, yeah, you know, you said you were a first generation American first generation college student. Uh, where is uh, your family from?
1: Yeah, my family is, uh, from, um, Mexico, um, specifically Mexico city. Um, and, uh, my mom grew up like half here, half in Mexico. Um, so my grandpa was the first one that Im- kind of immigrated um, to to the U.S. and um, my maternal grandfather. And, um, you know, through that process, eventually, as years went on, my my mom and my grandma applied and were eligible for a visa um, and would come back and forth. And so part of my mom's education was here and, and over there. Um, but she never um finished um, you know, school fully. Um, but uh that's kinda like the the family history and kinda how that goes and you know, being binational, I go to I go to Mexico pretty often. Uh see my cousins and family out there and uh yeah, it's cool, you know. Um growing up my mom um she would work in uh the downtown LA um fashion district, uh selling like clothes. Um being being undocumented at the time. Um, you know, she'd have to get paid cash. It was kind of difficult to find work. This was like early 2000s. Um, and so during winter break, you know, during school, and I was in elementary school, uh, she would have to keep working. She couldn't take time off. Um, and so I would go to Mexico with my, with my grandparents, um, on the road, on the road, just like, uh, in in the car. We would, we would not fly. (laughs) So it was like a two, three day trip. And some of my greatest memories, childhood memories growing up, um, you know, on the road, going to Mexico and, um, So I like to say that I was partly raised in in Mexico somewhat, because like every winter break I'd be out there. um, And it really helped me connect with my roots and, um, you know, makes me really proud of my Mexican heritage. Um, But I'm also a very proud American. (laughs) So, uh,
0: yeah, that's kind of like the gist, more or less. That's a beautiful story. It's just uh, beautiful it's how would you know your family was working how would your mother works you know try to you know, make a living try to um, be there for you but I, I can't help but uh, think about you know there's lots of talks you know about um, immigration within the US and um, with Mexico and everything. so I want to hear it from you, Roger what do you think people in America might misunderstand or misinterpret about you know the um, Im- immigration um, and immigrants um, to the US?
1: Yeah, um so I know that there's a there's a big crisis and I understand both sides of the of the perspective. Uh, especially coming from an immigrant family myself, but I also see, you know, when when I mean, I went to Mexico not long ago, um and we crossed the border um to El, El Paso, El Paso, Texas. Um and I just saw how many people were just like on the street um on on American soil in in Texas um and you know i feel for those for those uh for those people in those communities because um they they're like well um my small business is getting affected because people people there isn't enough foot traffic um to come into like my store anymore because there's so many people on the street so many people that are are um, displaced they're homeless because they they migrated and now they don't have anywhere to go um but i also understand that there is really like a human crisis um in some of these latin american countries in terms of like you know um scarcity of resources. Um a lot of people point to violence. Um the, you know, I, I love Mexico, but I also recognize that it can be dangerous at at, at points, um especially in like smaller rural uh, like villages like the Pueblos, um with like uh, you know, the cartels and and I can't speak too much to the experience of like um for example like Salvadorians or Central Americans. Um, but um I think that there needs to be a, a fine balance you know, it's it's hard for a whole country to provide aid um, when there is issues that its own citizens are, are facing still. Um, but, you know, it's it's difficult. It's very complicated. It, it's hard for me to just give you a straight answer and be like, oh, yeah, like just open the border because um, that's that's not ideal. Like it just doesn't work. You know, um, that that's idealistic thinking. And we need to be real here. Right. Um, and so I I know my family never wanted a handout. Um, we try very hard to not get government assistance. Um, but being in California, it's also very hard to exist or make it without like government assistance. Like it's, it's almost, it's almost necessary because it's it's just just
0: so expensive. It's just an annoying tug and pull right there. You just, a tug of war rope right there.
1: Yeah. Um, and it's just so expensive to like cost of living is like through the roof. Um, so it's, it's, it's tough, you know, um, but I, I think that there needs to be a balance and, um, you know, I, I think just legally crossing the border, I don't think that's a solution either. We need to have a process and you need to, um, you know, we need, we definitely need immigration reform and each politician okay. promises, but never delivers. Like it's the same thing every, every, every four years or so. So, you know,
0: oh. no I- way that yeah. yeah. so uh i get what you're i get what you're saying definitely because there is you're right there is no like easy answer to this argument because there's points on both sides ultimately you're right um, just simply opening the border doesn't solve like the source problem of why some of these people might be leaving and, and in the first place coming here in the first place like and ultimately but it's would be just shameful to just simply like close everything off and tell them like no you can't come here there has to be immigration reform has to be, like you said, just that balance to make sure things stay in order instead of just simply going with one side.
1: Yeah. Like I could say now that my, like everybody in my household are American citizens. That wasn't, um, the, the case always. Um, there was, a, like, I mean, like I told you in my childhood, my mom, my mom didn't have her papers. Um, and so it, yeah, like it, it it's complicated, but, um, you know, with time, we we went through the through the process, and um, actually, when I graduated high school, around the time my mom, um, you know, got her residency or her citizenship, if I'm not mistaken, so you know, it took years and a lot of money because it's expensive, but um, it, it you know we made it happen, yeah.
0: Folks, <laughs> yeah, no, if you've never been to California before, know that California is not, and I repeat, not cheap even the smallest things here can be cost you way more than in another state it's ridiculous yeah it's
1: ridiculous gas prices are not crazy
0: <laughs> gas prices <laughs> for about seven dollars for gas um, you might as well yeah, might as well know, get on a yeah. horse and ride to where you gotta go
1: <laughs> yeah definitely um but yeah um I don't know if, uh, if you want to shift gears, um,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's keep know, going. Let's keep could, going. Could... Um, um, so I yeah. just want to take it back to, um, I just wanted to hear a little bit of background, but let us take it to, um, when you were first starting on your career path, what made you truly believe that, you know, health and, um, community was one of the, uh, was just some places you wanted to, you know, explore. Yeah.
1: Um, so, I have to wind back a little bit and go back to like uh, my um my uh, high school like late high school early early uh undergrad experience to kind of like give you an overview of why I chose public health um, so going going just graduating high school going to UCLA um my uh, family was like being, being a first generation scholar, my family was always like told me to follow very linear trajectories uh, like they're like, oh, be a doctor. Um, lawyer, dentist, teacher, that sort of thing, because, you know, we don't really know much else, like, what's out there, um, and uh, when I was uh, in, in undergrad, when I was first starting, that, that's kind of what I was doing. I was, like, pre-med, um, and I had a lot of pre-med um, peers, like, like scholars, like, people I met in class and stuff, and cool friends that I still keep in touch with now, um, and I noticed that um, through my educational experience, through my four years at UCLA, that um, people would drop out like not drop out of school some did um but drop out of like the pre med track because it's so competitive um and when i would go into some of my classes like organic chemistry uh, my physics series that sort of thing majority of the classroom was like asian and white um and only like a couple like latino black students um because i, I think that science it, it, it is very cutthroat um and it's not, it's not made accessible. Um, well it is in the sense that you could just like register and get into a class, but like, what are your, what are your odds of succeeding? Um, and so from my high school education, um, you know, I, I graduated valedictorian, um, from high school and like, I felt like I was ready like to take on like, like UCLA. Um, but once I got there, I realized the stark reality of like my public education and being at a public university. But competing against students that come from like much more affluent communities that are like that have the resources to be like, oh, like, I don't understand this. I'm going to get like a private tutor or also like, um, you know, just being prepared better by their like school. You know, they had better like science teachers. And I think, um, you know, th- there's there's been a great push in terms of um, STEM for young women. Like pushing um, women into STEM and, and succeeding in, in career paths and that sort of thing, but I think that we're missing a mark potentially with men of color um, and, and supporting them on that trajectory um, and um, kind of having those support groups there that like I, I just don't see really exist yet or or to that extent. I mean, it's been a couple of years since I've been in undergrad, but it, it's just the the reality. And so that kind of inspired me to, to want to pursue research along the lines of like burnout in, in the medical field, um, seeing, seeing like, OK, after you get through the medical education pipeline, let's say you get into, into medical school and then you start your residency program at a hospital. Like, what does that look like for that resident? And what is like, how, how do you feel, you know, like carrying carrying all this, this like weight on your shoulders that like you were one of like a couple who made it through? Because people just start saying, like, not like, I can't do this. It's too hard. Right. And then I had I had peers who would like who started off in like biology, biochemistry, et cetera, et cetera, that I would see throughout like my classes. And then by the time we reached like the halfway point of like second year, they're like, uh, I'm going to switch to like social social studies or social sciences. Um, and um, because they just felt more at home there because there's just more people of color there um, in the liberal arts than there, than there was in, in the science classes. And um, they felt like they could succeed better, have better GPA, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, And it's not to say that like you can't go to medical school if you don't have like a science degree. Like you totally can. You just need to do your prereqs, right? Um, And do like the MCAT or whatever. But it's just a pattern that I noticed. And so with that, um, I did a lot of clinical hours volunteering at a at a hospital in East LA, um, White Memorial Medical Center on Cesar Chavez. Um, there, I would mainly rotate in the ICU and the emergency department, um, and so this was like an, an academic program called um, Cope Health Scholars, uh, which is a great program to get people like ours. It's it's very structured, and it, and I would stay um, with an asterisk that it's similar work to what a CNA would do, a certified nurse assistant. Uh, just like you're main, you're supervised, right, and you can't give medication because you're obviously not a registered nurse. Um, but uh, they would let me take vitals and do all sorts of things with patients and have direct patient interaction, um, which is really, really cool for somebody with, like, little to no experience, um, right? Or, like, no family member that could just be, like, that's a nurse that could just, like, pull me in and be like, oh, like, just volunteer here or do this to that, right? Um, and I and and I noticed that um, all the doctors were, like, white and Asian. <laughs> like, there was no... Um, it was, it was very little doctors of color like in an the hospital, and that's that's not to Doc Memorial Medical Center, because um, I've met some great people there. Dr. Hector Flores, the director, or at the time was the director of the Family Medicine Residency Program. Really cool guy, Um, has been like a big supporter of mine and, and a good contact, and just all around super awesome mentor. Yeah, um, to him, then. But uh. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but it, it, I, I don't, I don't think that's a that's a fault of Five Memorial, Memorial um, in terms of in terms of the population. Like, if you think about the sorry if I'm rambling a little, but if you think about nah, the patient population when they go to that hospital, it's mainly um, Latinos because Latinos are usually are like mainly in East LA. Um, and I would see it all the time, like in the emergency department, a lot of the families that would come in were uh, um, undocumented and didn't have health insurance. So they, they, this is pre-COVID, before COVID. And so they would come in and they'd be like, oh, like I have a headache, like something, or like I have a fever, right? But they'd go to the ER because they didn't have a primary care physician. They didn't have anywhere else to go. The emergency department was their primary care. And there's a big Mm. problem with that because the emergency department should be for emergency cases, right? Um, But I I, I saw that there was just like, um, like some patients only spoke Spanish and then like there wasn't a Spanish speaking staff, you know? And it's it's not even about like translating medical terminology, but it's just about connecting with the patient. So like the cultural competency there. I, I think it's really important that you have s- at least some staff that reflect the pa- the the patient population or the patient demographics that you're serving. Um because there's only so much that um like uh cultural sensitivity training can do in terms of connecting yeah. with folk, right? I agree. Um, I agree that. And so like, when they would when they would see me there you know, they'd be like, "Oh, hi, mijo," or whatever, and we would like start conversing in Spanish, right? And uh, I'd be like, "¿Cómo estás?" or you know, that sort of thing. And and just those little touches, like I could tell, would make like the biggest difference in their in their um in their in their care experience and in their, in their patient journey, right? Um, mm-hmm. and so I don't I don't think that's a fault of White Memorial Medical Center, but I think that there needs to be um, better pipelines the medical education right.
0: yeah that's kind of yeah. what motivated me to go on. yeah i see your point here um i see your point because you know it, there is definitely a um huge like difference in uh population of who like just starting off in college like who's in the, like particular field compared to who and like you do see just the stark uh differences than different communities like the uh, one you just mentioned around east la so there's definitely but it's taking it all the way back to I think we both agree. It's taking it all the way back to the very beginning with um, younger children in um, different communities, trying to um, help helping them, like, realize, you know, that they could be, you know, a doctor or a yeah, a, a yeah. Little assistant way that so we can help inspire. Yeah. them. Yeah, see, definitely.
1: I, I think I think it starts a lot with uh, making just the, the, the those conversations like real and making and, and showing people. Showing kids that people like them are also like in those positions that can do that, right? And and I think a a critical part of that is making science education more accessible, like at the very foundation, like the building block. Because if you don't have that, then it it, it's really hard to succeed to to make to make that happen. Like first of all, you you can't begin to yeah.
0: Sorry, keep going. Uh, Sorry.
1: Yeah, yeah. You 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 can't start that that when you're in high school. Like those foundational blocks need to be in like, like farther back, like make, make science like really accessible. Um, I, I think, I think, uh, schools and public education do a good job at, um, at, uh, presenting like, um, like English, social studies, history, at least from my experience and my, my, my like schools that I went to do a great job at that. But I think, um, you know, encouraging people to learn more. Like I didn't, I didn't really touch physics till I was in, um, in college um and um i love physics if i would have learned physics back then i mean who knows i probably would have been an engineer or something <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. i think
1: it's really it's a really neat field but um i think i think it starts with that
0: you know yeah like how yeah. like that whole process yeah, yeah it, it it does you know because it's not just it's not enough to simply um I've, I've seen this it's not enough to simply just teach these even in like elementary school um classes like you have to like really inspire just a passion for these types of subjects with yeah. um, students because it's because like, we can all like find a passion in like, you know, art or music, you know, we see that all the time. That's easily accessible for everybody, but stuff that's, yeah. you know, which is as, um, as complicated as, you know, science or mathematics, like we've got to like really, yeah, sh- really teach kids how to like really come to love it, you know, come to appreciate it. And that has yeah. to be more accessible too. So we're on the same page there. <laughs> yeah. But uh, let me yeah. ask you this. Um, yeah, of course. Before we um, come back to it, let me ask you this, um, Roger, because you mentioned just difficulties and just sort of, like can imagine just the awkwardness of being in that uh, environment with UCLA, where you had to navigate through um, through studies and, you know, just being like you know pretty much a minority within the um, uh, population. But um, you know, you found success through um, you found success through this journey, uh, incredible success. And I want to. Um, figure, uh, here are some of your, your methods or your ways of success. Now we both know successful people have, you know, built good habits. So I want to ask you what were some uh, habits you built while you were at UCLA to help you succeed?
1: Don't party. <laughs> don't party. <laughs> don't party. <laughs> I mean, you, you, I mean, let loose. Okay. you know, but, but don't like, I mean, I never, I never really went to parties, um, I lived at, I dormed at UCLA for three years. Um, the only reason I dormed there is because, uh, it was paid for. If not, I wouldn't have done it. <laughs> Cause I would have just commuted back and forth. But I mean, they paid for it. So I was like, so I'm going to do it. <laughs> and then my last, my last year, um, was, a uh, was when COVID started, um, my, my senior year or like the end of my third year. So I was just like, I mean, there's really no point in me, um, continuing to enough. dorm when I, <laughs> Yeah, like my family's like from East LA, uh, and like classes are gonna be online. So I uh, I moved back home, um, and at at that time I used my scholarship money to help pay for rent because like my mom like wasn't working. Um, my mom's a school bus driver now. Um, that's kind of like her career path. That's kind of what she's been doing for the last like several years. Um, and school wasn't in session, so she wasn't driving, so won't work. Um, but rent was still due. Bills were still due. Um, that sort of thing, and so I'm very grateful that I found myself in a an in opportun- opportunity, um, as a 20 year old at the time, 21 year old when I was like, you know, when COVID was like starting or that sort of thing, where I was able to look out for my family, support my grandmother, my grandfather, um, and just like help with that. Um, and so um, that was like during COVID, but I, I yeah, I would say the the major thing is don't don't party and and look for money. Like money is everywhere. Um, like you can find the money so that, so that you can pay for school. So like I graduated from UCLA with no debt at all. Um, everything was fully covered. Um, and a lot of that had to do with, um, my, my hard work and dedication, um, in high school. I started there. Um, so I was a part of the UC blue and gold opportunity scholarship. Um, I didn't apply for it. Um, it's just the thing that I was kind of like tracked into. Because of my, uh, my, my family's financial situation. Like my, my family was like low, uh, my family is considered low income and, um, that helped pay for like my tuition. Um, and then my FAFSA with, with an EFC of zero was able to cover for my, my housing. Um, that's kind of how the financial breakdown sort of came out to be. And on top of that, I always worked like I've been working since I was like 15, 16 um and since i could like legally work with the work permit <laughs> i've been working uh cuz i cuz i like to make money i like to stay active um and i'm, I'm always saving um because you never know when you're going to fall on hard times you know I, I i save as much as you can right like you know it's hard to save when you're living day to day but if you can do that so um my my biggest tips for for getting through like undergrad when well, from my experience was i i didn't really party um, I wasn't like really going out or anything. Um, I was like studying pretty, like pretty much constantly. And if I wasn't studying, I was working because I want to make money. Um, and every now and then I'd like play video games with like some friends, like play some smash bros or something like, you know, just Yeah. Out. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but really like, yeah.
1: Um, yeah, it was kind of hard for me to fit in. And, and when I first got to UCLA too, because like, it was a bunch of 18 year olds and all these like hot girls. And everybody was just like going to parties and drinking and doing all these things, and I'm like, I mean, I don't, I don't. Well, at the time, I didn't drink. Like, I, I mean, I'm not, I, I now drink, but like very, very, like not on a rare, on a blue moon. Um, and like it's only like one beer or something. Like, I, I don't go crazy, or like I like to have some wine with like some steak or something, something chill. But I'm, I'm not like I'm not going to the bar and like going like you know. Um, so it, so it was kind of hard for me to fit in at first because like my values clashed with the like the culture shock of like the college experience and everybody being like crazy and like going to smoke weed going to the beach that sort of thing um because i don't do drugs so I, I guess that's another tip that's a life tip just don't do drugs like try just, to stay Yeah. and uh yeah i mean i was just like focused like on my grind and look for academic programs like support you Um, I know at UCLA, I got a lot of support from, uh, um, AAP, it stands for the Academic Advancement Program. Um, and, uh, yeah, great, great program. They like helped me like basically through everything. I had some counselors there and everything. I also did, um, UCLA Peers Program. I think that's what it's called. I forgot what it stands for, but that was like another like STEM related thing, um, which was cool. You know, I'd like access to like other counselors that would help me plan out my courses and get me into like tutoring and that sort of thing. So look mm-hmm. for programs like that. Um, cause every university has them. Um, and, and that'll help, that'll be like a, like a lifeline to keep you like up your head above water. And also add my hardships, you know, I, um, there was like, I, I didn't, once I got to UCLA, I didn't have straight A's like I did in high school, <laughs> unfortunately, um, just cause it was so much more challenging. Um, but um, and there was I had to retake like one or two classes in my four years there, and it's not the end of the world. But it, at the at the time, it felt like it was the end of the world. Um, like I felt really really crappy about it, right? But um, I would say look look for those programs. And along those lines, I want to give a big shout out to the McNair Scholars Program. Um, that's a that's a, a federally funded uh, program. Um, so you have to be a U.S. citizen to participate, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe the rules might have changed, um, to allow, uh, people who are, who are residents or, 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 otherwise. Um, but the McNair Scholars Program exists at many universities. Um, and, uh, it's a, at UCLA, at least the focus was to get program, to get the students into PhD program. Um, mm-hmm. and so this was my last two years of undergrad, if I'm not mistaken. Like it was a two year thing. Some schools, some, at some schools, it's only one year. It's, it's different everywhere. Um, but UCLA's is like really it's a really good program. Um UCLA McNair. Um and it's named after Ronald E. McNair, uh, which was one of the astronauts that died uh, that died in the in the Challenger space shuttle, if I'm not mistaken. Um and uh he was an African American, went to MIT, got his a uh, PhD or something like that, a doctorate in like physics or something something along those lines. But the program was started in his honor, um, to uh support um Minority, um, minority early adults that are in college, uh, to get them past, like, if they want to pursue post-post education, you know, like beyond just the bachelor's to, like, set them up for that. Um, went through McNair, it's a, at UCLA, it's a research program. So I, I did my, um, my own, uh, independent thesis on, um, the whole burnout situation. So that, that, the, what I was talking about earlier about uh, burnout in the medical field and that sort of thing. I was inspired to to pursue that research through seeing my colleagues kind of drop out of the medical education pipeline. And my experiences at the hospital kind of steered me away from wanting to become a doctor because I started to realize that there was more systematic issues with the medical system and patient intake and the patient journey experience. And so that kind of is what motivated me to go down this public health route. So I'm I'm hoping I'm starting to connect the dots here. But, um, the, the McNair Scholars Program is definitely really, really great. Um, and yeah, I, I'm very, very happy that I, I got in because it's, it's pretty competitive. Um, yeah, even with my GPA at the time. (laughs) But, um, if, if, like, big shout out to them because if it wasn't for McNair, I don't think I would have gone to graduate school. Um, Hmm. and like, gotten my master's because they kind of put me on that track. Uh, much less um, finish graduate school with uh, no debt as well.
0: So yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, having, not having debt is wonderful. Not having debt yeah. is beautiful. Financial freedom,
1: financial freedom is like the best, the best thing you can do for yourself as a young, as a young person.
0: Um, yeah, yeah, totally, man. But um, so you've all not just uh, in your education, but I mentioned in your work as well. You've uh, dedicated yourself to helping a lot of um, to helping communities, and I, I remember we first met um, working for the yeah. uh, City of Los Angeles as uh, interns. Um, so let's just uh, start off with uh, that one. When you were working as a financial services intern with the uh, City of Los Angeles, what was something uh, you what was? What are some things you learned that you hadn't uh, previously known? Well, I learned about
1: uh, certified deposits. <laughs> That was, like, one of the big things I didn't know about before. You know, like, just becoming a little bit more financially literate and, like, learning kind of how to build wealth and that sort of thing. Um, I, think, I think that was, like, some of the most valuable information I learned from there um, in terms of, like, banking and how to manage my money and, you know, that sort of thing and investing. Um, but um, beyond that, I, I think one of the, the big um, takeaways I got from that experience was, uh, like... There's a there's a bigger world out there, um. Because when I did that that experience, I don't know if I was still like in, I was probably like, I don't know if I was at UCLA already, if I was still in high school, or like I was on the brink of trying UCLA, or I was early on at UCLA, I think. Um, it, was, it was 2018
0: but, um, that um, we first
1: went on. Yeah, <laughs> I was definitely at UCLA already. <laughs> yeah, I was at UCLA. Um, but um, yeah, and um, I don't know, like the the. How did you connect with that experience? Like if you don't mind me asking.
0: How did I connect with that experience? Well, it was definitely, um, I learned a lot about financial literacy as well there, you know, banking and saving, yeah. just things that they don't teach you really in school, like high school or anything. <laughs> so that's yeah. definitely would have been nice to know earlier. But, um, you know, thing connected with me, I was t- I was teaching this to like, you know, high school and like probably middle school students as well. So it definitely felt it just felt different being able to, like, share this information with them and have them understand it better. Because when you're it's, it's one thing to learn it yourself, but when you're able to teach it to other people, it definitely brings like a whole level of really just what's a good word. You think just sort of sort of peace, sort of satisfaction yeah. with it.
1: I want, I want, Yeah. Yeah. I would say like, it also helps you like level the playing field, you know? Um, in but, terms of, but like, also
0: another thing is it, it kind of inspires you to like learn more about it. Cause once yeah. um, I learned about banking and saving, I remember then I was, I was reading about, you know, stocks and, you know, assets and everything. And yeah. so it was all important too. So
1: yeah. Like diversifying the portfolio, that sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think, I think one of the, one of the key points also was like, uh, I, I presented to some, uh, families, uh, predominantly in Spanish. Like most of the time I was like working in Spanish. Like I was working with, uh, Spanish speaking only folk. Um, and then, um, you know, just kind of seeing like that light in their eyes when they were like, oh, damn, like that's crazy, you know, and like making like financial plans and that sort of thing. Um, I, th- I think was, was really rewarding in terms of the, the moral reward, right? Beyond like any financial gain in terms of like you know making some money over the summer or whatever. Like I think that that was really really nice. Um, from yeah. That, from that experience
0: particularly, yeah. Uh, hang on, one second. yeah, one second. yeah. yeah. Get it. Um, <laughs> we'll this thing. Yeah, you're good. So I swing computers. They never really tend, they never really keep their battery for long enough. No, um, good. Yeah, uh, but um, but yeah, you're right. It's so much. There's yeah, so much to know really nah.
1: and then we got to meet uh the mayor at the time Garcetti which is really cool
0: Eric Garcetti yeah, yeah if everybody else uh, didn't know me and Roger had not only had the pleasure of um being able to shake um shake his hand but also that someone got a photo of us and that photo ended up on a newspaper cover
1: yeah yeah and we're both on it it's really it's really funny <laughs> it's, I remember you told me about it and then you, you brought me a copy. I still have it. Uh it's it's with my grandma, but I, I still have
0: yeah. it there. Yeah, um, I still have memory.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: I still have mine, man. And you know what? I also remember um th- at the time Garcia Garcetti even put it on his Twitter uh oh, photo. Man. That's yes. crazy. I didn't know that. <laughs> yes, yeah, see that on his Twitter, I can remember that. I remember seeing it. Oh my gosh, yeah, that was that was amazing. real cool stuff yeah
1: but um yeah and then um you know i don't like i kind of walked you through like my undergraduate experience and that sort of thing um maybe i could tell you a little bit about my graduate experience now please
0: please absolutely indulge us
1: yeah uh for sure um so i moved up to the bay area uh, it was my first time, kind of away from home. I mean, I was away from home at UCLA because, like, I was storming and on my own, that sort of thing. But like, this was like my first real time, like, moving away from home, home, like, move, like leaving SoCal. Um, and the Bay Area was cool. Um, the reason I'm not up there anymore is because I particularly, I mean, I miss my family. Um, I'm a big family person, very family oriented. Um, and um, one of the hardest things about being in the Bay Area was was that sacrifice in terms of being away from home and being away more particularly, specifically from my grandfather. Um, so my grandpa, he has, um, he has onset dementia and frontal temporal Alzheimer's. Um, and so, um, that kind of started happening, uh, when I was an undergrad, we started noticing patterns in my grandpa, my grandfather's behavior. Um, like, he would constantly lose the car keys. He wouldn't, like, misplace them, didn't know where he left them. Uh, he would lose the TV remote. Um, I, we, and my grandma knew that there was, like, kind of family history on his side of, like, uh, Alzheimer's slash dementia. Um, and so we. my grandpa a very old-school type of man, type of guy, where he's like, no, nah, I'm fine, like, leave me alone. You know, like, I'm a man. <laughs> like, that's kind of how he was. And so one day my grandma finally took him to, um, the doctor, uh, to kind of get him checked. And so he thought that the, that the appointment was for her because my, um, growing up, my grandma, uh, had cancer. And, um, when I was really young, uh, we would, at the time, my grandma and I didn't have a car or we, we had a car, a family car, but that's the car my grandpa would use to go to work. And so my grandma and I would use public transportation to travel from East LA. To South Central Los Angeles, um, and her hospital was a uh, MLK Martin Luther King Medical Center, which was in those times was um, at the face of a lot of controversy because um, there was a, if I'm not mistaken, I might be like misremembering. Don't quote me on any of this, but um, a homeless person died in the in their ER because they died of a drug overdose because they kept coming back for pain medication, something like that, and it became like a really big issue with MLK. And they've really been turning it around. It recently got like remodeled and it's like, it's a completely different thing than it was back then. But my, my grandma and I would go all the way over there because that's where her uh, chemotherapy treatment was. Um, and we would come back in, uh, and so there was a little daycare there and they, and they would take care of me, like at the hospital and they would take care of me there. while my grandma was getting her chemotherapy because, again, nobody could take care of because My mom always had to work. Um, and we would travel in public transportation back all the way to East L.A. to get back home. Uh, but my grandma was obviously sedated because um, of her chemotherapy. And um, I don't remember a ton of this because I was, like, really, really young. I was, like, a little kid. But my grandma talks very fondly about those memories and how, um, how much she loves me because I was always there with her, like, through, through that. Um, so when my grandma went another- that's another reason why I want to go into healthcare and going down this path of like public health um but uh my my grandfather is another part of that um so he's the closest thing I have to a father, and um when my grandpa started going through this it was very difficult for the family because my grandpa couldn't really work anymore um he was a school bus driver as well, but you know when you start having Memory loss, memory fog. Like it's it's difficult to to be under that much pressure in terms of being responsible for all these kids' lives that you're driving around, and like you know, making sure that you're following your route and that sort of thing. Um, and it was really harsh, kind of how the company handled the whole thing. Because my grandpa had worked at a company that I don't know if it even exists anymore. It's called. It was called at the time at, at. Atlantic Express and they were like a school bus transportation that would have contracts with like LAUSD and (laughs) stuff like that Um, but they let go of my grandpa and it was kind of harsh the way they did it because they kind of like kind of ended up being fired because they didn't know that he was going through that like they didn't know he was going through Alzheimer's like he, he would like arrive late that sort of thing because I mean we didn't know either you know like until we started getting him checked up um and um it was really hard for my grandma navigating that's like the healthcare space with my grandpa um and like being mainly somebody who speaks primarily spanish but then also having to navigate like his retirement and then also navigating the legal space around getting like legal custody over my grandfather and being like the legal guardian now responsible for it. and this is this was like this is like this is while i was in undergrad and so I was kind of away from home, but we'll come back every weekend and like be with the family. And, but it was challenging because we lost a big source of our income at home because my grandpa was no longer working. My mom, my grandma, my mom and my grandfather were the main breadwinners. Now. And so that amalgamation leading into COVID was just like super, super hard on my family because like just our financial situation, we were like really low, um, and I'm just really glad that I had the opportunity to be able to help them. Like I said previously with my scholarship money, um, mm-hmm. but um, my, my grandfather. Yeah. He has, he has Alzheimer's. And so moving away to start my graduate program was really difficult for me because of the emotional moral obligation I felt to my family in terms of being there for them, being there physically, like helping my grandpa shower, shaving my grandpa, like feeding him, like helping my grandma basically around the house. And having to move away. And how do I justify that to my family when I just finished college? You know, they're like, wait, you're gonna go back for more school. Not that they weren't supportive, but they were just like like what is this master's thing, you know? Yeah. So I think that was like probably the hardest part morally and emotionally for me. Like being away from family and being away from the closest thing I have to a father. And, and not being able to support my family in that sense.
0: You know? That's insane. Um, <laughs> because... But but on,
1: on top of that, <laughs> like I don't wanna sound like, you know, uh like, you know, terrible, terrible news all the time. But um I had I had these roommates. So when I first got to the Bay Area I moved into Oakland. I was in I was living in Oakland, California. And if you know anything about Oakland, Oakland's pretty rough. It's a rough neighborhood. Um and it's like pretty sketchy, Like sketchy like car windows get smashed in all the time up there um crime is pretty bad uh like drug use and like homeless people and it's it's tough it's tough you know um and i didn't have i didn't i had a car up there but then i decided to drive it back down to socal because i was like i'm not gonna have my car here and have my car window smashed in and like it's just a headache, and parking was just like a mess at like UC Berkeley, and it was just it was just rough. So for the most part, I used public transportation while I was in my two years in, in graduate school. Um, the BART, the Bay Area Rapid Transit System out there, I loved it, phenomenal. <laughs> but like taking the bus and stuff, like it, it wasn't like the best. But um, when I moved in. I had I had two roommates, um, a male and a female um this was the kind of like one of the first times where like i had a kitchen and a shared living space in that sense because like in a dorm we didn't have a kitchen um i didn't like cleaning it was really like it sucked <laughs> but we were all like the like the reason i decided to like move with them and like live with them is because we were all like similar age so my female roommate was i believe a year older than me and my male roommate was a year younger than me and but they were both transfers coming into uc berkeley um from community college, like to, to do their four year degree. But I was coming in to do my masters. So we were we were all gonna be there for two years. But um to not make to make a long story short, um our first semester up there, my male roommate and I um he also moved up from SoCal, similar to me. He he came from a first generation household. His parents like only speak Spanish and like immigrated to this country. Um and I felt a real connection to him on that sense, you know. Um, and I tried to be very supportive of him, but in our first semester, he got diagnosed with HIV, um, and that was obviously very difficult, you know. And so I tried to be an emotional support to the best of my ability, while I still handled my graduate school duties and work, and all the all these th- all these things are piling on top of each other. Um, but essentially, one of our one of my roommates moved out because they graduated within the first semester, and another roommate moved in, um, and she was cool at first like we all got along we would eat together the place was more tidy since she came in um but she um was really into into raving and and partying and going to like uh electronic music festivals and electronic music events and i like that stuff too it's cool um and so i went with them like once or twice but they would, they would do drugs, um, and like harder drugs. Not just like weed, like they do like LSD and acid and stuff. And I was like, oh damn! Like you were we trying to,
0: out. you were trying to avoid all that because you were just you were built you already built up the good habits from UCLA. You can't, you know, fall down.
1: Yeah. I'm, just, I'm in graduate school, like, you know, <laughs> it's like it's different. Um, but um, and and like she would, she would constantly bring back guys, and it was just like. There's always like three, four guys in my my living room, like like smoking pot, like all the time. Like it it sucked. That's a no Long story short, short, she crashed her car um, because one day they went drinking um, out to a bar. Only they went, I didn't go with them because it was a school night and I had things to do. Um, And they crashed their car and they called me and I go check up on them, you know, just to see if they're okay. Um, You know, as a decent human being would. Uh, and and they crashed them in the, like, they were already, like, home, technically. Like, they, they crashed in, like, a parking structure, if that makes any sense. Um, thankfully, she didn't hit any other cars. She just crashed into, like, a concrete pillar, but it was, like, pretty bad. Like, the car was total. Um, and, and her, instead of taking it, like, I don't know if it was because she was under the influence or whatever, but instead of taking it in the best way possible, she was, like, throwing a fit about it. Because she crashed her car, it was like a brand new like 2020 car that like her family got her. Or something. Like that. Yeah. Um, don't drink and drive. And like, yes. Yeah. No. <laughs> so we all went back home. This was like around like 2 a.m. By the way, and I like went back. I was like, all right, well, I'm gonna go back to sleep. Um, but then they wake me up again like at 5 a.m., 4 a.m. Because they're like blasting music in the living room, and they're like, when I see her again, she's like super happy. Comes up, hugs me. And, like, really bubbly. Like, imagine the last, like, three, four hours of, like, the car crash and her being, like, really pissed off about it. And, like, that whole turmoil. Like, imagine that never happened. Like, she was, like, a completely That's, different person. That must have been like,
0: so confusing.
1: I think she was on something. But I just told him, like, hey, like, turn it down. Like, I'm trying to sleep. I'll still tomorrow. Um, and then she goes into, she, like, she hugs me or whatever. I didn't hug her. I was just, like, you know. Uh, and then she, like, runs down the hall, goes into my bedroom. In our we had a three bedroom apartment in Oakland. Um and she like lays in my bed and then like I like they just felt weird, they felt odd, you know, and I was like, yo, 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 like you need to you need to leave, you need to get out of here. Like, just imagine if the roles were reversed. Like imagine I was the one who was intoxicated, went into her bedroom, laid in her bed. Like, what is that insinuation there? You know what I mean? Like I, I would have I I would have potentially lost so much just because I'm a straight male and, and she's a woman. But because I'm a guy and she's a girl, she, she kind of just gets a slap on the wrist. You know what I mean? But like yeah. after that whole situation, I felt really uncomfortable and I felt like my belongings weren't safe there anymore, and I like moved out. Um I just like that same night, I like on my bike, like I biked it from Oakland all the way to UC Berkeley. It's like a like a 5-mile bike ride. Um, I like took my laptop and like some clothes and like very little things. Um, but long story short, I was, uh, homeless for a little bit because of that situation. And I was like sleeping, at, um, like at school at UC Berkeley. Um, and I talked to my, my teachers and I let them know my situation, what had happened. I talked to some of my counselors and eventually they got me into emergency housing through UC Berkeley. Um, which I'm, I was very grateful for, but it was a very, per, uh, not
0: a permanent solution. Um, yeah, but, um, yeah, so it basically, from what I'm saying, you had a crazy, you couldn't wait to get back, back to Los Angeles. Uh, <laughs> yeah,
1: it's, it, it was rough. Like, I mean, rough, rough, rough. Like, my graduate experience was rough. Um, um not only that, I felt like really lonely because it was just really hard to connect to folk. Um,
0: you were like, you had to be I, like, I, really... yeah,
1: Sorry, and I just feel like I'm barely, I'm barely getting back to like my old self. I'm barely getting back into like the flow of things. I'm barely um, like coming back online and, you know, hopefully Monday goes well. Um, you know, I briefly <laughs> told you that I have like a site tour on Monday um, for a, uh, um, a psychiatric ward in a, in a medium sized hospital out in Rosemead, California um, for a, um, you know, behavioral in-house um, Like uh, public health, social work, sort of thing. Um, And if that all goes well, you know, hopefully start working because I've been unemployed for the last several months. As I like, you know, get my bearings. Just got out of school after being in school for like six years or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you know, um, I hope it goes well, and then like I I could like finally start, you know, progress, taking in the 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 riches of like everything I've I've done so far. You know. Exactly. Um, Yeah. and uh, start, like, living life, like, like, after everything I've done, you know? Like, working full time, that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, you know, um, the the Bay Area was not kind to me, but I think those two years in my graduate program, beyond everything I learned, I grew so much as a person because I was, like, really on my own. Um, You know, I got really into, like, uh, my culinary stuff. I was, like, really cooking it up. Um, And so I was really fun um and uh and i learned a lot about being myself and being on my own and being comfortable being alone being on my own Um, exactly. but uh but yeah you know okay. i mean i have little, uh,
0: yeah yeah sorry go ahead as i said so um sorry to interrupt but you know it's just as you grew stronger from like you know the experiences in UCLA said like and in especially in berkeley just uh, being able to get through the most insane times and be able to come back to your family, as you're now getting to this um, this tour. Where you be able to you know start working, you know getting the, getting that money coming in because you know having money is good. And yeah. you know it, it, this this field of you know public health, it's and you know you just gotta think like there's so many ways where you can like you know benefit to somebody's well being. You know it's not just through surgery, not just through you know psychiatry, but just so many layers to it and so yeah but there's so there's still even when you go into that field there's still going to be a lot you someone might not understand or might not be ready for so what do you think are some things people should uh understand or you know be ready for when they um should they ever want to enter like the field of health
1: yeah um if you want to go to public health know <laughs> that there's never enough money <laughs> Like. Um, I mean, I mean, now more than ever, I think public health is in the spotlight because of everything that happened with the pandemic. And and like the the year I applied and to get into my master's in public health, like everybody and their mom wanted to do public health. Like everybody wanted to do epidemiology. Everybody wanted to do all this stuff. So it was super competitive in my year because it was just like the height of the pandemic, and it was like in the forefront. Like the whole world was like, "Oh my God, we need to invest more in like preventative medicine. Like get people like don't don't wait, don't invest into." acute care like you know um don't don't put like so much money into into and when people are really sick put, put money for the front for preventing people getting really sick like dietary programs um, um investing into communities meeting their, their holistic needs that sort of thing um and so there's never going to be enough money to satisfy all of those things like it's just it's just the reality of the situation but i think that Public health is, is really valuable because you have an opportunity to, to potentially make systematic change beyond just an individual patient at a time. So that's that's the biggest reason why I wanted to go into public health rather than like follow like an MD path. Because if I, if I just became a doctor, I'd be, I would feel like I was like another cog in the wheel. And I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel, but I'm trying to see what I can do beyond helping one family at a time, you know? Um, and so... I think I think that's one of the biggest things that people should be prepared for and should look out for when thinking and considering about pursuing public health. Um, and also, public health is so broad in its scope that you can either be doing nothing, or you could be doing everything, or a lot. So, if you're gonna go, get, if you want to go get your master's of public health degree, be very clear on what your intentions are and where you want to go, because if you're not, it's definitely like you, you're gonna get lost. And that's going to lead you to not making the biggest impact you possibly can, and it's going to lead you to potentially not making the money you want to be making if that's what you want to do. <laughs> you know, so um, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of the the overview gist of life. You know, because you could do so much. You could do like you can range Some from man. epidemiology to like homeless outreach to like dealing with. Anyway, but yeah, that's kind of that's kind of the, the gist of, of how that how
0: that works, you know. Oh, man, just like you said, it's just so many different ways, so many ways to help people, so many ways to make a difference. It's uh, it's yeah. honestly incredible. Listen, um,
1: I want to give another quick shout out um, to another another program that I think would be very beneficial to to youth and and young professionals that want to go into um, the healthcare sector. Um, mm-hmm. like look this up. Uh, it's called health career connection, HCC. Um, I personally know the CEO. Um, his name is, uh, Jeff Oxendine, Jeffrey Oxendine, great guy, super awesome mentor. Um, he, uh, we, we reconnected once I was out at Berkeley cause he's a, he's affiliated to UC Berkeley as well. Um, and, uh, when I was going through my, my, my situation with housing, um, he was, um, very supportive. He even offered uh, if I if I wanted to house sit for him because <laughs> like he was gonna be traveling with his wife uh, just so I can have a place to be and study and and um, you know once you're once you're in an HCC once you're in HCC and you and you become an HCC alumni, it's a for life thing and um, they're they're super awesome. So the way the program works is uh, you, you apply as a you have to, i believe you have to be in college. There's also I think pre HCC which is like for high school youth. I'm not sure about that though. But once you're in college, it's basically like a summer placement program uh, where you get paid uh, to work at a, at a healthcare facility, depending what you want to do. Like if you want to go into, uh, if you want to be like a surgeon or a nurse, you kind of get to shadow that sort of thing. Um, you kind of get to be on the front lines in, in these spaces. And it's a great program for people to, to, um, to get involved. Um, so big, big shout out to HCC for sure. In terms of connecting people into healthcare, it's like a, earlier on program but you could also do it later on like if you're about to graduate or, or, or a recent graduate from um like college like you could definitely do it so i highly highly recommend that program um so just putting it out there
0: acc is right acc and jeffrey oxendine just shout out to you y'all doing amazing work just keep doing that so right, roger as we start to close out this uh interview you've done some amazing things and met some amazing people and just got through hard times and found good times. So I got, so I got to wonder in your journey, uh, what is, what is it you're most grateful for?
1: I think health and family, like, like, like being very real. I think health is something that we often overlook or take for granted, but I'm very grateful that I'm in a healthy body, um, that I am, able and capable to, to look out for myself and take care of myself. Um, because there are a lot of people out there that can't do that for themselves. And I think that that's one of the things that we often overlook or don't even think about, don't consider. Um, you know, when, when we're in moments of hardship, we think like what we're missing, you know, um, like what do we need? Um, or that, that, that's kind of like the mentality, like always a, a deficit mentality. Like, what am I missing? Rather than being like, okay, like, you know, I can still get up and still do this and to still do that. Right. Um, and so I'm very grateful to that. And I'm very grateful to family. Um, because if I learned anything in the last two years, you know, being up in the bay, being on my own, being out in at Cal at, a uh, UC Berkeley, um, it's just how, how much family means and, and, and the support network that comes with that. Um, and to those who don't have family, you, 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 find your family, you find your family with, um, with those around you and, and, and the friendships you make. And, and, and I think that's really important. Um, and something that I feel like I've been slacking on a little bit because I've just been like really desperate to, to start working and like look for work and, you know, just doing interviews left and right, getting offers, some offers that are not so generous or offers that are great or, you know, that sort of thing. Um, I just, I think I've been dropping the ball a little bit on my relationships and staying connected. Um, so, you know, n- n- nourish, nourish that, nourish those relationships, nourish family, nourish your loved ones. Um, that's really important to stay connected. Um, and so I would say I'm, I'm really grateful for, for family, um, or quote unquote family it doesn't have to be blood re- relations, but, um, you know, um, and health. So for sure, th- those two things.
0: Beautiful, man. Absolutely beautiful. Health and family are absolutely, and your health and family are absolutely essential to to life. And you do if you don't have family, you find you do find your family because yeah. you know they're, they're waiting for you all you gotta do is just be willing to go out there and just build yeah. that connection.
1: It takes a village. It takes a village to get people where where they're at. It's not it's not always a one man show. You know? Yeah. It's always that recommendation,
0: it's always that like those connections you make. So it's super, sometimes, super important. Sometimes it's usually it's never a one man show. Everyone yeah. can't do something on their own, like accomplish something on their own. They needed others. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes episode 45 of the upcoming. So I want to give another big thank you to my guest, uh, Roger Bazan Flores. Thank you so much for coming today. Uh, Roger and sharing your insight with us.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. I really appreciate you having me on and uh, it's been a wonderful conversation.
0: So, yeah, that's it for episode 45 of The Upcoming. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the underscore upcoming podcast. And also be sure, if you want to check out our website, we got the-upcoming.simplecast.com. Yeah, be sure you can follow us on Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, uh, Amazon Music coming up real soon, folks. And also, yeah, just be sure to uh, check out more of our episodes coming up because it only gets better from here. With that being said, yes, just stay tuned, folks, and good night. Thank you for tuning in to The Upcoming. If you like this, be sure to follow us on Spotify, Amazon Music, Pandora, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at the underscore upcoming podcast. The best yet to come. Take care, everybody.